Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our previous years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by comedian Tim Heidecker that he first shared on the podcast in 2012. It's not for the squeamish, and it's called Sudden Blood. Hello. Turn the music off, please. Um, I'm not going to tell a funny story, but I am a funny person, so it's, uh, um, you're probably going to laugh. So that's good news. Um, it happened uh, in uh, March of 2006. I was living in Los Angeles, in uh, Los Feliz. I was living in a little bungalow community, and uh, I was asleep. It was around 12.30 at night, and I was awoken from my sleep by the uh, pounding of my uh, iron gate and uh, the voice of my neighbor, an, an older woman, screaming, um, Tim, Please help. My son is overdosing. My son is going to die. I don't know what to do. I've called the police. No one's come. I need your help. So um, I get out of bed and put on some sweatpants and a t-shirt and run out of my, uh, my little one-bedroom bungalow and uh, to the right, and I run upstairs to the second floor of, of their apartment. Her son, by the way, is um, uh, 17. He's about six foot three um, in community college. And um, I had known them very well. I'd known the family. I'd known um, the mother and the son and the daughter and was very close with them. And they're very friendly, lovely people that I was happy to have as, as neighbors. 
spent uh, some holidays with them. And um, so I was very happy and eager to help and do whatever I can. I was running out of my apartment, running up the stairs, barefoot, thinking to myself, I don't know anything about overdosing. I don't know anything about CPR. I don't know what kind of help I'm going to be, but I'll do whatever I can. And um, expecting to find somebody unconscious, you know, ch I'm, th I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix with uh, vomit in his mouth. And um, because I was also there during that um, horrible <laughs> experience. Um, and as I'm getting about halfway up the stairs, um, I hear this. And I immediately start running back down the stairs. <laughs> um, it was the scariest sound I've ever heard in my life. It was the sound of this uh, young man. I'm going to start calling him Joe. Uh, that was the sound of Joe, um, but it sounded like a, a lion. It sounded like a beast. And uh, uh, for some reason, my body said, don't go up there, because that's a bad sound. I started... <laughs> Uh, I started running the other direction, um, down the sort of middle path of the, uh, of the bungalow, and uh, I, I immediately sensed and felt, and I, th I must have seen uh, him coming right down the stairs uh, after me. And, uh, and he had a knife in his hand. He had an eight-inch kitchen knife. And um, so I continued to run, and I ran out onto uh, Talmadge and uh, up onto Fountain, and uh, I ran up to Sunset Boulevard uh, the entire time a literally a madman yielding a kitchen knife uh, running mere feet behind me. Again, uh, five minutes ago, sound asleep. <laughs> I turn onto Sunset and if you can, uh, you go on Google Maps, type in Tang's Donuts, and you'll be able to see Tang's Donuts, which is where I uh, ran into the Tang's Donuts parking lot. Uh, it's, a, it's a parking lot where a lot of uh, sort of degenerates and hobos and, and kind of weirdos and like weird chess player kind of types <laughs> hang out. And I'm, I'm literally uh, running around like cars, you know, and, and this, this kid's chasing me. And uh, I, for a second, I'm about to run into Tang's Donuts and, and you know, I think if I had run into T Tang's Donuts, I'd be dead because in Tang's Donuts was nobody except for like a four foot two, you know, 16 year old Korean girl uh, manning the counter who would have been no match for this, uh, this young gentleman. Uh, so I, my brain told me, don't go in there, that's a trap. Um, <laughs> I run across Sunset Boulevard to the McDonald's, which is lit up, uh, and get to the McDonald's door and, and it, they're closed. They're not open past midnight. Um, and I, I kind of had this thought in my head of the scene in, Go in uh, Ghostbusters when uh, Rick Moranis is getting chased by that Sigourney Weaver's beast. Uh, you know, she, that beast, start, you know, basically kills Rick Moranis against this, this window of like the tavern on the green or something. So um, he's again still chasing me. Um, I look to my right, there's a gay bar on the corner called Akbar. And it's Thursday night, there's a tremendous amount of. Uh, I guess you'd call them bears out front. Yeah. Um, large, strapping men, um, smoking cigarettes, bouncers, also a variety of different kinds of men um, out front. And I run into to Akbar um, barefoot and run. I'd been in there once um, with a friend. <laughs> and... Um, I, uh, I ran immediately uh, into the bar and took a left and went directly behind the bar. 
I'm screaming. I'm screaming for my life. I'm screaming, help, help. This person's trying to kill me. Um, he comes right in after me. I mean, the whole time he's literally, you know, 10 feet behind me, between 10 and 5 feet behind me. And um, I, I just kind of collapse uh, behind the bar. And he comes running in full steam into the bar, into 30, into 30 guys. Uh, three or four of the guys tackle him down to the ground, take, him, take the knife out of his hand and throw the knife on the ground. At this point, um, for the first time, I feel the warmth uh, and uh, wetness of the blood running down my back. Um, I have, to this day, no memory of the actual impact of the knife, which is kind of a fascinating thing to me, that um, I have no, you know, the, the adrenaline running through my, through my veins uh, as I'm being, uh, as I'm running up fountain, uh, I think, prevented any feeling of pain when the actual impact of the knife uh, went into my back twice and, uh, and kept me kind of focused on continuing to run. I mean, has anyone had the dream where they're being chased by a murderer in the middle of the night and you have the feeling that you're running through molasses and you can't move and you're not going to be able to get away? That doesn't happen in real life. You run like a fucking crazy person. <laughs> you run screaming and you, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I was barefoot and um, running through the middle of the street in the middle of the night to survive, to live. So um, I realized I'm, I'm, I've been, just been stabbed, first time ever being stabbed. <laughs> um, I have the moment of, uh, oh, I'm going to die in a gay bar, behind the bar. Um, this is going to be one of those, you know, my parents are going to have a hard time explaining this story. Um, <laughs> Uh, they, they immediately clear the bar out and a, a, a lovely woman came be behind the bar and, um, who was a paramedic student and uh, assisted and gave me some first aid and put some bar towels on my back and really was you know, the first line of someone just saying like, you're going to be okay, it's not that bad, it's going to be okay. Um, and as I'm, I'm lying there on the ground like really starting to panic, and I, I see these guys walking out and they're all kind of like... Because mm. by now my shirt's off. And I felt really, uh, you know, I'm not homophobic in any way, but I felt very protective and defensive of my body at this point that I was not some kind of piece of meat that you guys can just look at on your way out. <laughs> this is very troubling. So th there's a, this is the first point when I'm, I'm being taken out um, to the ambulance. I s have this first uh, sudden rush of paranoia and, uh, and fear that the family that I'd grown so close to was planning this, and this was a conspiracy, and that this was all as was supposed to have happened. This was their plan, that I was going to be killed this night, and that the way they were going to do it was to uh, arouse me from my sleep and uh, create this false story. So I become really paranoid and, and upset, and, uh, and my girlfriend, who was, her side of the story is incredible as well, because she was asleep as well, and her side of the story was she sees me run out to help somebody and then sees me run down the stairs being chased by a person with a knife. So she came and met me there and, and we went to the hospital and uh, at, you know, the, the, the adrenaline wears off and the pain comes in and you start feeling the pain of a knife in, in the back. What, what, what kind of pain uh, you can imagine would, would be. I don't know if you've ever cut yourself. Um, <laughs> It's a 
it's a bigger version of, uh, of cutting yourself. Um, I remember being in the emergency room and a variety of uh, doctors and, and policemen and par paramedics um, walking back past me, looking at the, uh, my wound and going, oh shit, oh shit. That's what I kept hearing. Oh shit, is he gonna, is he gonna be all right? And I'm like, oh, am I like losing blood? I'm like, am I dying? Am I still dying? Like I know I'm in the hospital, but what if I'm bleeding inside? I don't know. Uh, it really hurts, and it's, 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 it's hurting more and more. Uh, then um, I was given uh, um, this wonderful drug called Dilaudid. Does anybody know what Dilaudid is? It's heroin. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, really is great. And I recommend, if you guys don't have addiction problems, you try it, because it's really wonderful. It's the w greatest feeling I've ever had. I've ever had in my life. <laughs> was that drug uh, intravenously uh, str uh, going through my, my veins. Um, it, it, it started with a little bit of warmth around the nose. <laughs> and then I just felt like, wow, I could just really, uh, I really love all the people around me and I could really just be here for the rest. This is the most comfortable I've ever been. Um, <laughs> so I'm not gonna get into any opiates. I think that's a good lesson. Um, <laughs> So, um, and then a, a kind of the, the, the sister of the brother showed up and was, uh, was, was a really great friend and, and still is a great friend. And we, may, we caught eyes and she looked at me as if, you know, as if her brother had killed somebody and, and with a look of, of regret and remorse and guilt that, I, you know, I never want to see again and we just both we're sobbing and she's, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. This is clearly, uh, you know, the, the fear and paranoia that this family was, uh, was looking to uh, take me out of the game was, was gone. <laughs> and uh, and um, the next few days, um, it kind of came out that, that this kid was, you know, he was smoking marijuana, and, which is fine, and I, I have no problem with that. And, uh, but I think there was something else that, got, that started coming into the supply. There was like this, this, these synthetic marijuana, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does that ring a bell? The PCP kind of stuff, like these, these drugs that don't have names, they just have like letters and numbers, like TH976. And, the, and, and it really makes you psychotic. And, and uh, this kid um, had gone on sort of a bender of this and had completely lost his mind uh, and uh, was, was ha you know, from what I hear later, was, uh, had a knife and was threatening to cut off his penis. And his mother was freaking out, obviously, and he had the burners on in the, in the kitchen and was threatening to burn the house down and was completely out of his mind. And uh, when he came to, when he became conscious and became sort of aware at the LA County Jail after being uh, arrested for the crime of trying to kill me, um, he, he asked, what happened? What am I doing here? What's going on? Why am I in jail? Um, which is way scarier than what happened to me, in my opinion, because I knew what was going on and I could, I could place what was happening in some kind of context and understand it and understand why it was happening. He, he couldn't do that. He had, no, he, he had done something that he shouldn't have done and it led to a gap in time where he ended up in jail. Um, so he had a lot more work to be done to him than I had to be done to me. And uh, I'm fine. <laughs> I can't walk. I know what you saw come up here was 
Uh, it took a lot of drugs and it took a lot of courage, but I usually can't walk. Um, and I'll, I guess I'll close it by showing you my scars, right? <laughs> I'm planning on getting plastic surgery because I can't stand to look at my back. There's probably zits back there too. took a picture. That was like the biggest violation of trust I've ever had. <laughs> Delete it, would you? Could you imagine? Anyways, thank you for having me. Uh, hope you learned something. It's a true story. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday, and everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com. Dot com.